0: So the big question is this, how do real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time don't have access to off-market deals and didn't start life on third base? How do we conservatively grow our real estate business to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race, and build a legacy? That is the question. In this podcast, we'll give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is real estate underground. Greetings and salutations, real estate undergrounders. This is Ed Matthews with the Real Estate Underground podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. So today is OG day in the, in in real estate world. I am joined by a gentleman who has been there, done that across multiple asset classes, multifamily, senior living, hospitality. The list is actually quite extensive and uh, it is an honor to have Christopher Finlay on the show today from Lloyd Jones. So Christopher, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. It's good to see you, sir. Thank you. Ed. Glad to be on. Yeah. So, so for those of us who don't follow Lloyd-Jones uh, and may not know who you are, why don't you give us a little bit on, on who you are and how you got here. Sure. Well,
1: we're focused. We're a real estate investment firm.
0: We have a number of verticals that are wholly
1: owned subsidiaries. And, you know, we are investing in multifamily, senior housing, hotels. And we also have a development arm and a construction arm and a senior housing operating arm. So all of those are under the umbrella of Lloyd-Jones.
0: Excellent. And so it keeps you rather busy, you and your team rather busy. (laughs) Uh, Say the least. Yeah. So so let me ask you, obviously, you were originally, you were a commercial pilot, if I remember correctly, right? Right. Exactly. Eastern, yeah. Yep. And and so, you know, obviously that takes a high level of intellect and, and also an even keel from a personality perspective, you'd hope, right? So somebody like me who tends to be a little more mercurial is probably not cut out to be a pilot, but, you know, thankfully there are people like you out there, you, you know, in terms of choosing real estate, right? You know, obviously you could do anything. And so I'm curious you know, why real estate? Why did you, you know, choose this world?
1: Yeah. You know, my father in law was, uh, was in real estate. So I got uh, exposed to it through him. And, and then I started making an investment with him and I got, you know, got the bug, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the unique thing is we were living in Connecticut at the time and I was flying out of, out of LaGuardia and Kennedy. And I fortunately in those days, you could fly two days a week and cover your full allotment. You know, so you really have five days a week off. And somebody suggested I should go work with this brokerage firm called William Pitt. You may have heard of them. Sure. Down in, down in Fairfield County. Well, I worked in their commercial group as a broker for, you know, a year and a half, two years before it. we moved up to New Hampshire and started our own. So it was a, a, an opportunity. I did both. You know, I was flying yeah. on the weekends and I was a broker during the week learning the business. Excellent.
0: Well, that's a heck of a life. You were uh, seeing the world to a certain extent, right? As much yeah. as you know, it's always funny. I used to travel for my own job. I, I I was in technology and, you know, my kids always thought, wow, you see the world. You eat at fancy restaurants and amazing hotels. And I'm like, uh, you know, most of my night's kids are sitting at the end of a bed, eating a quesadilla that I got from the hotel commissary. And it's at a courtyard Marriott somewhere in the world. This is not a glance, you know, my life was numerous. So, but, uh, you know, you see movies like uh, Catch Me If You Can or You know, some of those other movies and you think, wow, what a life that was, right. right?
1: Yeah. It was pretty good. I got to uh, say. Yeah. That's in that's those crazy. days.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The world's changed about 10 times since then, right? So, so let's talk about the focus in terms of the various divisions. I, I'd love to unpack, you know, multifamily and we can get into senior living and, and, and hotels as well. But I'm curious about multifamily. You know, one of the things when I was doing my homework for this, you know, a theme kind of jumped out at me that, and, and you actually explicitly say something to this effect in some of your marketing materials that, You know, you're not too concerned about the ebbs and flows of the economy or, you know, and I talk about that in terms of recession, non-recession, but also, you know, low interest rate, high interest rate, historic interest rates. And so I'm curious if you can share with us your philosophy on the business in terms of timing the market, which. And also, you know, in terms of how you look at, you know, the current state of affairs and where we are today. Sure.
1: Look, in my opinion, multi, we got into investing in multifamily in a big way in 2010 and and just rode the wave, right? And it just was an amazing time. You had a big demographic tailwind involved here, which were the millennials that were feeding that demand factor. And you just, there was an undersupply in 2010. So it just never caught up and it allowed for prices to just, you know, continue to rise. And, you know, I think that's peaked. Quite frankly, I think, you know, we saw 21 when rents were going up 2% a month and going crazy and, you know, you could sell a a C-plus property at a three and a half cap in Florida. I said, hey, I've been here before, you know, so we I gave the order to sell everything and our entire portfolio. And we ended up selling about 80% of it. The other 20, you know, we had it under contract where people tried to retrade me. And I said, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it, stupid me, because, you know, now we're 20% less. But anyway, you know, I think the cycles, you see cycles coming through. And I think, you know, if you, demographics is a big thing to me. I think, you know, and look, there's still an undersupply in multifamily, although there's a huge number of apartments being built now and so forth. But this will get flushed out the next two or three years, and then multi will, you know, start coming back. And, you know, it's always a great asset class. If you're a long-term holder and, you know, you don't over-leverage on these and you have a good capability of either asset managing or managing, Multi's just a, a you know, a phenomenal asset for a very long time. You, you may have some ups and downs, but even the downs are pretty shallow in multi family compared to a lot of other. Other classes, so still a fabulous asset. We're now focused on senior housing, Mm -hmm. and the reason for that is prior, even prior to COVID, there was starting to be an opportunity there. It was a little overbuilt, you know, 2018, 2019 market. They overbuilt it. It was starting to get soft, and you know, we felt that there's a huge baby boomer generation coming along that's going to be massive. Yep, yeah, massive. And so, you know, we wanted, we we thought 2020 we're going to get into this in a big way. And then COVID hit. Thank goodness we hadn't bought anything. And we sat on our hands focused on multi. But then, you know, when it got At the end of COVID, 2021 and 22, we just saw some great opportunities to buy because COVID really decimated the whole industry. And you could have been the best in the world or the worst in the world. You uniformly got slobbered, you know, just beyond anything anybody could handle. So those assets are now, you know, being sold. And we just feel it's just an unbelievable time to to enter that market. And we think it's, I tell people it's multifamily 2010. You could go back and buy a nice B apartment at an eight and a half cap, well, we can buy a very nice senior housing at an eight and a half cap. So, you know,
0: it's just a pretty good, you know, strategy as far as we're concerned anyway. You, sir, have my attention. Eight caps. What's that? You know, it's interesting. I'm curious what your take is on the interest rates and where they sit now relative to history, you know, historical numbers.
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, when I opened my business in 1980, the prime was 19.5. 19.5% percent 19.5. Ed. So, you know, it's uh it, hey, look, interest rates are are up there, but they're still not, you know, on a historical basis, they're not crazy. You know, they're high, but you know, look, I think we all realize we're getting towards the end, end of this. And There's going to be a couple more hikes in my opinion, yeah. but but look, I you know, I think we're getting close to the end. And if you buy a floating rate, you know, get a floating rate deal, you you run it down and you instantly make money on the downtrack. So, I you know, I think interest rates certainly, interest rates factor in and, you know, I tell I tell our guys, it's part of your underwriting, right? You're under, you are under you need to be able to buy the asset to, you know, to be able to support the debt. And there's a number at which it supports the debt if it's at 7% or 8%. And there's a number it supports the debt if it's 4%. So it's really a price adjustment, right? And so you make your decision to buy based on what re- gives you a reasonable return at today's interest rate,
0: yeah. or you don't buy. He, you know, I had this conversation, And so we're very active in the market here in Connecticut. And I have this conversation at least once a week with a seller, you know, is hanging a, you know, 2021 price and ignoring the fact that it's 2023 and that the interest rate has gone from, you know, prime, well, base interest rates have gone from, you know, three and a half to seven, you know, six and a half to seven. Right. All right. And so, you know, the conversation goes something like, I am happy to pay the price you're asking if you give me terms. That also reflect 2021 terms, right? If you're gonna allow me to acquire the property at three and a half percent, happy to do it. But you know, if you're if the if my cost of capital is six and a half and you know, you're asking for a you know a four or five cap in terms of price, that math doesn't work. Yeah, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, so it's really a price adjustment. And yeah. I think that's where you see the multi you know, I just read a report where I think in May, multifamily sales were 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 off like seventy percent. And I think it's just a, you know the adjustment adjustment. adjustment hasn't been made. Everybody's waiting for it to be made. So, you know, everybody thinks sooner or later, there's going to be an adjustment to the pricing, but it hasn't been made. So you're dead on. That's
0: Yeah. And I think the bridge loan situation is going to have a pretty big impact on this as well, right? You know, I saw a report, I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but I saw a report from Moody's that 23 or so percent of the adjustable rate mortgages that are being repriced or need to be repriced this year won't be because, you know, obviously they don't pencil anymore.
1: Correct. That's where the adjustment's going to happen, I think, over
0: the Next, you know, the next 12, 18 months, I think there's going to be a big adjustment and people get to the end of that loan and try to refinance. So when you, I want to, a couple more questions about multi, and then I want to talk about senior living. The, you know, as far as multi goes, When you acquire them, you are managing them yourselves as as Lloyd-Jones, correct? You don't hire local property manager.
1: Well, we did initially do it all ourselves. And so, you know, when we were building the portfolio, subsequent to selling off 80% of our portfolio, we decided to put it out to, you know, outside management. You know, I think it's very difficult to, I think, manage a property, you know, as a small outfit. I think the smartest thing you can do is find the best manager in that market and then intensively manage the manager. And that means, you know, being on the property, inspecting the property, going over the financials with the manager on a monthly basis, you know, interrogating every line item, just micromanaging the manager. I think that's the best. When you get bigger, I'd say like a thousand units, then it may make sense to start your own management arm. But let me tell you, it's very difficult. Managing is a hard business.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, we actually have a so I'm well below a thousand units and we manage our own properties today and we've figured it out, but there's a reason why. I I have gray hair on both sides of it just because I'm a you know father of uh, two teenage daughters. So, you yeah.
1: know, there's advantages to that. You control sure. the whole thing and let's face it, it's your dollars and chances are you manage it more cost effectively than a third party manages it I'd like without a time. doubt. Yeah. So, you know, you care your hearts into it. And so that's, you know, if you have the time, the capability to do that, it may
0: make sense, but, you know, it's a very tough business. In- uh, it is indeed. So, so let's take that and talk about senior living. Now, you mentioned that you have uh, a management company or an operating company. Now, do you just operate your properties or uh, do you do this on a third party basis as well?
1: We do both. Yeah. And the reason why we've so heavily invested and, you know, we have about 1500 units of seniors currently, which is, you know, small. But the senior housing business is 95 percent managed an operation. So, you know, so the, the there's a real estate investment component of it, sure. of course. But you make it or break it on your operations. And the operations are even more intensive than hotel operations. You're you know, it's twenty four seven, you've got, you know, all sorts of staff, there. I, you know, a hundred unit property could have over a hundred employees. Right. You know, it's just a huge operating business and that's what the focus has to be. So we felt we're gonna get into it, even though you know, we only own a few hundred. It's time to get in there and manage it yourself and be hands on and and create the the brand strategy that you want to put on that asset. You know, it's very important to that. It's the key. The operation is the key to the business. You know? Well, yeah. The
0: fact is, I would imagine, you know, having some folks in my family who've moved into senior living over the years, you know, brand is enormous, right? The customer experience, you know, it's if I learned anything about that business and I don't know, I don't know a lot about it, to be honest. The, you You know, the experience of the of your residence basically sells the next generation of residents, right? My mother-in-law and and father-in-law giving tours of their own unit and talking about what it was like to live in the place that they were living, you know. And it was you know, I'm sure there was a sales process as well, but I think the thing that typically drove it home for prospective residents was the experience that your current residents 100 yeah. percent yeah and that just you know produces a reputation for the whole property sure absolutely. And so now are you developing these properties? Are you acquiring these properties both yeah well we we started a development actually
1: in 21 you know, one senior facility. It's an independent living, high-end, Port St. Lucie, Florida. And, and, you know, it's really great. It'll be completed in about six months and 160 unit property, really gorgeous property. So we've done that, but, you know, subsequent to COVID or after COVID, there's such great buys that even we can buy new properties well below replacement. So, you know, so it doesn't make sense for me to build when I can buy. It's too expensive, Why would you? Exactly. It's 70, 75 cents on the dollar. I can get a brand new property and all the risk of development goes away. And, you know, development's a a very high risk business.
0: Yeah, it is. It is not for the the faint of heart, so they say, so to speak. And so in terms of your senior living business, you know, obviously Baby Boomers, 76 million people it's the single largest transfer of wealth in the in you know human history which says a lot and i'm curious you know in terms of the market size you know obviously all 76 million you're not going to move into senior housing and you know so i'm curious you know how do you look at a market and quantify okay you know i know what the population is and you know How do you look at the demographics of an area and decide, okay, this is a place where I want to acquire uh, a a property? You know, it's obviously very different from the multifamily world because I'm you know, guys like me, you're looking at job growth and you know diversity of employers and, you know, obviously net median income, both for individuals and families and things like that. But that's probably not what you're looking at,
1: right? No, you know, there's demographic, great demographic information out there
0: and you do your study based on a three and a five mile
1: radius. So these people, you know, really generate in, in, in very low. It's very local. Now, as part of the study, you're also measuring, you know, the 45 to 55-year-old population Yeah, and what well, their income... <laughs> yeah. And what their income stream is, right. because chances are when mom and dad get really, you know, older and need to be close, they want to be close to you. Sure. Either you move to them, but chances are you have a job. So they move close to you to be right. near you and, and near the grandchildren and so forth. So that's part of the demographics that you study. But you have, you know, you, the independent category is usually 75 to 80. And then Assisted living memory care is 80 plus. And there's demographic studies you can get. And then you really are basing this off of a very slim percentage because everything we do is private pay. And so, you know, you have to have, uh, you know, you have to have the wherewithal financially. Right. To be able to afford this. And then you also look at the kids and that demographic and see what the income is for your market and that demographic so that there's children that can help pay. And, you know, and that's part of the research and the study you do on what market you want to be in.
0: Yeah. And and so taking it one step further, you know, the kids, the 45 to 55 year olds, They're also your future customers, right? Correct. Down the
1: road. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So, you know, not only do they need the wherewithal to help mom and dad, but they need the wherewithal to help themselves. Right. Correct. Okay. Correct.
1: And you referenced the baby boomers. The baby boomers, I think I read somewhere, it's going to be like a $60 trillion transfer of wealth or something like like that. A trillion. It is just a massive massive amount. amount huge, unbelievable, massive transfer of wealth from yeah. that
0: generation to the
1: next. So yeah. and this
0: world won't look the same 25 years from now, but uh, you could say that of 25 years ago as well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. you and I haven't changed a bit in those 25 years, but the <laughs> world <laughs> around us changed quite a bit. So, yeah. and so when you look at a senior living, so you are not, it's obviously, you know, in part, it's a multifamily, right? You're providing housing. But it's also a medical facility, yes?
1: Correct. Yeah, We well, it's a care facility. It's not a medical facility. So, right. you know, we're providing basically ADRs, which are assistance in daily activities. And and so it's not that we can, you know, do medical procedures or that kind no, of yeah, stuff. No. yeah, no. None of that. But just, you know, you just help with their lifestyle, help them and, and keep them healthy.
0: Now, do all of your facilities have that kind of next level of care? You mentioned memory care, for instance.
1: Yeah. But most of the uh, facilities we buy are assisted and memory care okay. sometimes we sometimes they include all three independent assisted and memory and that's a nice concept but but I would say probably 80 percent of our assets are you know assisted living and memory care and and memory care you know is becoming more and more you know they're full cool. they're yeah. you know t- Tragically.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, here in Connecticut, there was, there is a lot of independent and assisted living, but the memory care, you know, that next level here is for whatever reason is very hard to find. Yeah. In a lot of places. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when you look at, So when you invest in senior housing, is it the same model, you know, everywhere where you're going to provide assisted and memory care, that next level, or, uh, you know, does it depend on the demographics of the area?
1: Yeah, no, well, we're we're buying existing. So if it has an existing assisted memory care, you know, we would do that. Sometimes we have land next to it that comes with the deal. We might put an independent living next door, so to speak, and that's a really nice concept. So, but we normally, you know, it's normally pretty much what we buy. Right. And that's licensed too. These facilities are licensed. Yeah, thank God. So, yeah, exactly. And you have to have a licensed administrator running them. So, right. you know, the executive director of each one of these facilities has, you know, has a license. Yeah,
0: excellent. And so so we're coming up on the the last lap of this conversation. So I want to bring you into the final four. And these are four loaded questions and I can't wait to hear how you answer them. So Chris, you know, in terms of your experience, you know, obviously you've been a mentor to many people, but I'm sure you had mentors along the way. And so I'm curious about the best advice you ever got and who gave it to you.
1: You know, it was uh, probably Bill Pitt. who was, you know, William Pitt who founded that, that company. and And his feeling was, you know, always be cautious about leverage. You know, back in the days when, you know, After the 2008 meltdown, I think everybody got the lesson that it's it's not too wise to get 95% financing, right? So in those days, it was just loaded on. Right. So, you know, so you really have to, I think, be careful and and not over-leverage your property. That's uh, because if you hold, if you can hold the asset and not lose it in a down market, it's coming back. And it's going to come back stronger and be worth more than it ever was before, even at the peak before. So, so be prepared to weather the storm. If you weather the storm, you're coming out fine and you're going to make money. But if you lose it, you've lost it.
0: Indeed. And I know plenty of people that did. So, so I'm curious when you talk about leverage, you know, obviously the standard in my world is. Well, most people say 20 or 20% or 80, 80, 20 loan to value. I'm more of a seven, 65, 70 kind of guy. You know, I'm curious about, you know, your operation and your view on leverage. You know, what do you look for in a deal when you're, you know, I know you're raising, you, I know you've got a senior note coming up. So I'm just curious, you know, what, you know, what do you look for in terms of loan to value or loan to cost?
1: Yeah, we're seldom above 65 it's, you know, now when we did multi, you know, we may have gotten up as high as 70 on Fannie, but we never put, we never layered on additional, you know, mezzanine financing or preferred equity or anything else to get it, you know, push it up there. So most of our multi was Fannie or Freddie. They're usually at 65, yeah. sometimes a little higher, maybe 68. And now what we're doing as well as, you know, maybe 60, 65 range with pure equity above that. So, you know, so that's, that's what we think is a reasonable number today. And especially at these rates. Right. Yeah, and
0: it's certainly gonna support your cash flow, right? Even if cash flow takes a nosedive, like you said earlier, you'll weather it just fine. Very smart, very smart. Okay. So I see that bookshelf behind you. If for those of you who are listening to this, Chris is sitting in front of a gigantic shelving unit of of books. So, you know, I'm always curious, the leaders are typically readers, right? And, you know, these days that can be audio books or physical books like the ones behind you and the ones scattered around my office here. But also, you know, YouTube videos and podcasts and seminars and webinars and all that. So I'm curious about two things. One is how do you sharpen the saw? How do you take in information? And then I'm also curious about, you know, what are you, who are you paying attention to these days? Who are you reading?
1: Yeah. So, so I'm a reader. I love to read and I probably read at least two books a week. So, uh, you know, and there's a thousand books here, by the way, in my, over a thousand. So, so I really enjoy reading and, and I like the hard copy best. I, you know, I take my Kindle on trips, of course, but, but I love the, you know, I read a book recently. I know you mentioned this question. It was called, the book is called Your Next Five Moves and it's by an English gentleman called patrick Bet david and it's a really great book it's a down-to-earth good advice that is is some of these books just get so so over the top and so complex and this right. is just down-to-earth great strategy and advice so i you know so that's a great book but i right. you know I, I love to read you know look i look at videos i watch some videos sequoia which is the you know the pro- venture capital firm on sure Health. yeah no, well- They do a a great job of putting out information and on the economy and what they see coming down the pike. They were the first, in my opinion, to call what was going to happen at COVID. And I don't know whether, I think that was a result of they probably had a lot of investments in China. And so they got a hint of what was happening before we did, but they warned all of their startups to go into a very defensive mode way before everybody else. And I read that memo and I thought, wow, these guys are being really extreme. So I sent it to my son and and he read it. And he said, I think they're dead on. I'm going to do exactly what they said. Suddenly. And so, you know, they were ahead of the pack for doing that. So they, that's a to me one of the best newsletters out there you know and then Howard Marks he's another great commentator on the economy business so you know yeah but I love to read
0: well there's a gold nugget for me I I did not occur to me to look at Sequoia and their newsletter that's uh that's absolutely brilliant so let me ask you this here's the big loaded question if you had to start over what would you do differently if anything
1: wow that's a tough question you know we we grew you know during the boom cycles we grew pretty fast and rapidly we grew by recruiting a lot of young kids out of college. So we hired a bunch of young people and trained them. And, you know, that was great for them. It, you know, most of them last about two, three years, then they great. go up. They, you know, I feel good about it, quite honestly, because, they, you know, I feel like, hey, I, I've done something good for them and, and they've moved on. And these guys are, you know, leaders and done tremendous. So You know, that's a good thing. But I think when you're building a business, especially a small business, be careful about how many junior people you have, because they can consume a lot of time, a lot of money, and a lot of effort. Yeah, and then they're gone. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you, you know, so if I had to do it over again, I think I would probably operate with a very lean, but elite team of top players. And, you know, you pay a lot more for them, but they don't need any holding, They don't need training right. and, you know. And they Exactly. Right. So so that's the lesson I learned.
0: All right. Well, n- noted. So, Chris, I'm curious about your personal life. Um you know, when you're not in uh, real estate mode, what do you do
1: for fun? I have a, a, a bunch of grandchildren. I have eight. I love to go see them. I go love to go watch their games and visit them at colleges and stuff. And so it's it's a lot of fun to travel all over the darn country—from <laughs> Wisconsin to New Jersey to Rhode Island, you name it. You know, we've been there, so it's an awful lot of fun. When you become a grandfather, then you really you're you're living life. Let me yeah, tell you,
0: I, someday. I keep telling my daughters, you know, my I have a 20-year-old and a 15-year-old. So I say, you know, it's not a race. It's not a race. I'm <laughs> happy to be a, you know, right now my 20-year-old has a dog. And so I'm a dog grandfather and that's fine. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, So, Chris, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you again for, you know, carving out some time in your very busy schedule. If people want to learn more about Lloyd-Jones or you or the offering that you have coming up, you know, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. It's
1: LloydJonesLLC.com. And that puts you right on our
0: website and
1: everything's there.
0: All right. Well, Christopher Finley, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to see you and speak with you. And once again, I appreciate your time and your willingness to offer your experiences. Hey, my pleasure. And thank you very much, Ed. Great chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Underground podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us grow. Until next time, happy investing.